Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hey, listen, we're going to be in a couple areas of Scripture. Mark chapter 13, as we continue our study, as well as Isaiah 61. Once again, Mark 13, Isaiah 61. Let me say, we've been in contact. uh, And by the way, if you need a Bible, there is one in the seat back pocket there in front of you. Um, We've been in contact with people from Maui. Uh, and we are looking to partner with the ministry over there to be able to get engaged and involved. And what we've discovered is that there are many people engaged and involved right now because of all the politics. And what usually happens after a crisis is that all of that money and all those people and all those resources begin to die out in the next two months. So we are going to engage in the next couple of months to have a little bit more of a longer lasting impact. So I wanted to let you know that we are purposing to be a part of that as well. So proud of our Disciple Life team that is heading out to India. Now I need to let you know, we did not pick this. We encourage, we invite 26 people to be a part of Disciple Life every year. We challenge them to develop their own mission trip And it's an assignment. And what I have loved about Tony and the rest of the group that's going, it moved from an assignment to a calling. And to watch them become disciples has been an exciting year-long process. So I'm just so grateful. And I also would like, before we get into the study, I I, I never do this, but because I, I, anyway... Uh, you guys know Pastor Ferry Dune. He has been here. He's spoken at our church before. He's coming back in September to speak during our Go Witness Week. His wife, Louise, led our women's retreat. Um, Louise, would you just wave your hands in church? Would you say hello? We at South Bay just want you to know we love you and your family, and we, to- we tolerate Ferry Dune because of you. <laughs> So excited that you're here and so thankful that our ladies are back safe and sound. Um, How many of you were up on the mountain? You were up on the mountain, you came down. My wife said it was the most spiritual 24 hours of her life. I hope you came back to move mountains. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I'm so grateful. Sorry, come out of prayer for just a moment. I, when I started prayer, the Lord reminded me, and I just I wanted to go back in because I felt like he interrupted me. So I'm going to interrupt our prayer. We got a storm coming. Believers, listen carefully. Jesus told us there would be storms. That's why he said, build your house on his rock. And there's something about believers that should just be true. We stand on the rock of Christ. And when the storm comes, we don't freak out. We live in a peace and a joy so that we can be a minister while other people are freaking out. And so as this storm approaches, could we be reminded of Matthew chapter 7? We built our house on the solid rock of Christ. Amen? So, 
Now I'll go back to Jesus in prayer. Now remember, he told me to interrupt my prayer, so don't be upset with me. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. Because you said whoever hears and does my word is like a man who stands on a solid rock, built his house on a solid rock. And so I pray now in the name of Jesus that this church, despite the storm, would stand. And I'm grateful for their example. Even in canoes, they're coming to church to give glory to Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray, would you minister to us now as we get into this conversation and we understand your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 13. It's called the Olivet Discourse. Now, let me explain something. That's probably on your Bible as the title of Mark 13. However, that's what theologians do. They come up with very difficult names to describe very simple truths. They make things a little complicated. All this is, is four of Jesus' friends sitting on the Mount of Olives, and they're having a conversation that the Holy Spirit thought was very important for us to understand and to know. So you got four friends who've heard Jesus say the temple's going to be destroyed, and they know from Zechariah when Jerusalem is ransacked, the King of Kings is coming. So let me tell you what's on their mind. Matthew, he's thinking, I'm going to be the minister of finance. Peter, James, and John, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the new kingdom. When they're asking about when are you coming, they're not thinking about the cross and the second coming. All they're thinking about is Jesus is coming. And he is going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. So we need to get our job descriptions in place. Jesus, he knows there's going to be a time between the destruction of the temple and his second coming. And so what he's more concerned about, Christian, listen, is to instruct them on how to persevere, on how to endure, on how to make it through in the end times. And we're living in them. So this conversation is recorded by the Holy Spirit so that we will know how to make it through. Would you look at Mark chapter 13? I'm actually going to begin at the end in verse 33. Mark chapter 13, would you take a look at verse 33? This is what Jesus is trying to get across. Maybe you'll underline this in your Bible. It's going to be our Selah verse to remember. Take heed, watch, and pray, he says, for you don't know when the time is. You just don't know. There is a truth about life, and maybe you'll write it down, and I don't know if you found it to be true, but life can turn on a dime. You just don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the next moment. Life can turn on a dime. All you got to do is ask my daughter. In fact, I was down in San Diego yesterday. I got up early at 6 o'clock, and I drove down to beat the traffic, and I was putting in a drywall and a shower and doing all the electrical work. They just bought this house, and they thought it was really a cheap house, and they thought it was great, but you don't realize when you buy a money pit how much those houses actually cost. And so I'm down there doing plumbing and down there doing drywall and down there doing electrical all day yesterday, and let me tell you what it is. It's penance. 
It's penance. Let me tell you why. When my daughter Abigail was five years old, and yes, she is now 26. I've been paying penance for 20 years. She was my closest daughter, but something radical happened. Her life changed in a moment. You see, I came home. We were living in the Bahamas at the time. And I came home, and I had a Bahamian tree frog in my hands. Let me tell you about Bahamian tree frogs. They're slimy, they're small, and they have toes. They're the kind of frogs that when they're attached to the window, you can actually see their toes. And my daughter, every time I would come home, she was so excited that I was coming home, she would run to the door. She'd be the first to meet me, and she'd come running, Dad! Well, right when she walked to that door, ran to that door, I opened my hand, and I showed her that frog. That frog got so terrified that my daughter was screaming, running towards me, going, Dad, it jumped from my house, my hand straight into her mouth. Imagine the trauma for that frog. You see why I've been paying penance? Because that frog thought, let me get to the dark place and was going down her throat so that it could get away from my hand trying to grab its toe and pull it out. I've been paying penance ever since. 20 years of penance. That's why I was down yesterday doing electrical, doing plumbing, doing drywall. I want a relationship with my daughter. Life can change on a dime. Two weeks ago, a brother in our church, his name is Javier, with a cane, he came walking up to me and he said to me, Pastor Chet, Jesus has gotten me. I've been a part of this church for a long time, but the truth is I've been struggling with addictions. And I came forward about three weeks ago and I've made a decision. I'm giving my life completely to Jesus. I'm not going back to drugs. I'm not giving into my addictions. And I'm choosing Jesus for the rest of my life. A week later, he was walking across the street and a drunk driver hit him. And today, he is with Jesus. Because Jesus is faithful to his word. He always leaves the 99 to get the one. And how grateful are we that Jesus got Javier's attention and his life was changed in a moment because Jesus knew what his end date was. Jesus has been fair enough. We studied it two weeks ago. He's been fair enough to let us know that it's going to be rough in this life. But he's also given us the tools to make it through. And the first tool he gives us right here in verse 33 is take heed. Maybe you'll circle it. He's talking to his four friends. He repeats this phrase four times while he's having this conversation that theologians call the Olivet Discourse. He says, take heed in verse 5. He says, take heed in verse 9. He says, take heed in verse 23. He says, take heed in verse 33. And let me tell you something. Whenever Jesus has to repeat something four times, he is trying to get our attention. It's like your mom, remember? You're out in the playground. Chet, you act like you don't hear her. She comes out about three minutes later. Chet you know you got a little bit of time left. And then she comes out the third time, Chet Arthur. There it is, now you know. 
Amen. Then the fourth time, Chet Arthur Lowe. You know when the last name comes out, you better get your hip in the house because the switch is coming on your backside. Let me tell you something. When your mother has to call your name four times, she is trying to get your attention. Jesus is trying to get something across. And what he's trying to get across when he says, take heed, he's saying, be faithful. Be obedient to God while you are waiting for him to come get us. You don't know the day or the hour. He says, be faithful, be obedient. That's what he's getting across. But secondly, maybe you'll circle it there in verse 33. He says, watch, watch. This word means don't get sleepy. I know our Sunday school teachers told us to close our eyes and fold our hands, and we tend to do it when we lay down at 11 o'clock. And we go to Jesus in radical prayer. Our eyes are closed. We are in the pillow, and we start, dear Jesus, I just want to thank you. Then at 2 o'clock, and Lord, I just also want to pray for all that you're doing in my life. And then at 6, Lord, good morning. I'm just so thankful for you. And your wife leans over to you and goes, hey, how was your night? And you say, I've been praying through the night. (laughs) He says, don't get sleepy. There is a tendency for human beings to procrastinate. Amen? Listen, I'm Bahamian, so I can crack on my own culture. We have a national motto. It's known as no problem man. No problem man. Let me tell you what no problem man means. Let me tell you. It means if your plumber doesn't show up for six weeks when they promise to, no problem, man. If your contractor doesn't build when he told you to, no problem, man. Let me tell you something. If you don't pay your bills on time, no problem, man. What you doing turning off my electricity? Let me tell you something. It's our national motto because human beings' tendency is to be lazy. And Jesus is making something really clear here. That determination, determination, and diligence are characters of believers. I'm going to tell you why. His spirit is in us. Let me tell you. I want you for a moment to think of the determination it took and the diligence it took to get up that hill called Calgary. His spirit is in us. He says, watch. He says, listen, in the middle of this time, I need you to, take a look at verse 33, I need you to pray. I need you to be in connection. I need to be in communication with your commander-in-chief. It's James chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. Prayer is the step of faith to fulfill this promise of God that when we take a step of faith to call upon his name, he comes running our direction. Let me prove it to you. Remember the prodigal son? He wanted his dad dead. He said, I want my inheritance now. It was like saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. His dad gives him all the money. He squanders it all. And now he's in a pig pen. And he says to himself, I might as well go back to my father. Take a look how the father responds in Luke chapter 15. It's Luke chapter 15. He arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran. That's the heart of our father. 
that when we choose to call out his name, just take one step, one walk of faith forward, he comes running our direction, he grabs us, he holds us, and he says, I've been waiting for you. Pray. That's the Father's heart. Now what Jesus does now is he tells a story. Stories are great. And what I find in the lobby is that the only thing that you will remember in my sermon is that I put a frog in my daughter's mouth. It amazes me. I try think I come out with these great spiritual truths and I hear, <laughs> that was so funny, you put a frog in your... No, 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 did you hear the message and the point? Stories are great because they help us remember. Jesus told stories. Now take a look at the gospel here in Mark's gospel, chapter 34. He gives a story. It's like a man. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, he repeats again, for you don't know when the master of the house is coming in the evening at midnight, the the the, uh, crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, this is important, and what I'm telling you, I'm saying to every believer, I say to all, watch. This story is recorded because Jesus told these four guys that this story was important for all of us to hear. This story was important because Jesus, though they didn't know, Jesus knew there would be a time from the destruction of the temple, which was only a foreshadow of, the, of a physical foreshadow of what would spiritually happen of the temple in our future. And he says to them, listen, I'm going to tell you how to watch. And he says this, I've given you authority. Now this word authority, this word authority means supernatural. And what he's saying to the disciples, I'm not leaving you alone. I am giving you the power of my Holy Spirit to help you. I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you the supernatural. You're not on your own. And when you think you are, just cry for help and I will come running to you. I'm giving you authority. And then he says this, I'm giving each of you work. I'm giving each of you work. And during this time of waiting for Christ's return, let me tell you something, we all have a job to do. We're all responsible for some part in God's house. That's why I want you guys to be a part of our Go Witness Week. We're going to hear from our experts, our missionaries from around the world on how we can reach L.A., on what it means to be a witness of preaching the gospel and making disciples. We all have been given a job to do. Then he says this, keep watch, keep watch. He is asking them and us, I say to all, be diligent, be determined, Choose to live by faith. Church, we don't know the time. And because we don't know the time, this requires us to believe that what he said is true and that he is going to come. It requires faith. Now, what I want to do is discover why he told us to keep watch. Because what we're about to experience in Mark chapter 13 is rough. Would you go with me to Mark chapter 13? Verse 14. Mark chapter 13, verse 14. And I'm going to ask you three questions over the course of the rest of our time. And here's the first. 
Has life ever gone from bad to worse for you? Has life ever gone from bad to worse? Jesus knows it would. Take a look, Mark 13, verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. Now let me explain. Mark is writing to Gentiles. He's writing to a church like us. And they don't know the book of Daniel. So he says, let the reader understand. In other words, you need to go to Daniel and read Daniel, and then you'll understand. And that's why all of these new fangled preachers that are saying that we need to throw out the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit makes reference to the Old Testament, I would say, let's stick to the entire Word of God, Old and New Testament. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you know this. But Leviticus is very important. Amen? Leviticus is very important. Now he says, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the house top not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field... Someone want to answer that? (laughs) And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. He says, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter. Whoa, this gets from bad to worse. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until his time, nor ever shall be. Whoa. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened those days. And what he's speaking about are those that will get saved in the tribulation. Now, stop for a moment. I have a question. Has life ever gone from bad to worse? It looks like it goes from bad to worse here. you got pregnant women running in the winter. you got people that are not even going back to their house and running for the hills. What in the world is going on? Well, Daniel gives us some insight in chapter 9. Because this phrase, abomination of desolation, let me tell you what it means. It describes an event that is so detestable that the temple is absolutely abandoned by the Jews. It is so horrible that no Jew would ever go back in the temple again. And Daniel told us about it several hundred years before it's going to happen. Take a look. It's Daniel 9.27. Daniel tells us, then he, speaking of the Antichrist, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Now let me explain what that means. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene and sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. When he signs that peace treaty, some war is going on, and how common will that be? There's a war in the Middle East. Some war will be going on that he'll come up with an idea and sign a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That's the covenant. And he signs it. When he signs it, the seven years of tribulation begin. But in the middle of the week, uh uh-oh, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing, very quickly, on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation, until Christ comes, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. In other words, which is determined? I'm letting you know this is going to happen. So let me explain what happens. Take a look at this next slide. Maybe you'd want to take your phone out and take a picture of this next slide. Very quickly, 
Look at this next slide for just a minute. We're living in the present church age. Sometime in the near future, Jesus is going to rapture his church. I was hoping that Jesus would time it with my statement. Obviously, heaven still has a little bit longer. I was actually hoping if I just waited, maybe the rapture would happen. Okay, so sometime the rapture is going to happen. When he signs that peace treaty, the seven-year tribulation begins. He is going to be a mastermind, good-looking guy, great orator. People are going to go, wow, that guy is great. But then at three and a half years, after he builds the temple, he will go into the temple, the abomination of desolation. No Jew will ever go back in the temple again. He goes into the temple and tells all the Jews, I am God, worship me. So Jesus says, if you think that's bad, run to the hills immediately. Because once he makes that declaration and you don't worship him, he is going to go on a massive slaughter, even more so than World War II, killing every Jew in the world. It's going to go from bad to worse. And Jesus is not afraid to let them know. But I want you to see what he says in verse 20 again. Look at verse 20. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened those days. Let me explain who the elect's sake are, just so that you can understand. Aunt Sally has been ministering to little Johnny about Jesus, but little Johnny, who's now 18 years old, doesn't want Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Aunt Sally is gone, along with millions of other people at one time. And all of a sudden, little Johnny goes, Aunt Sally was right. I need to fall in love with Jesus. The whole church is gone. And Johnny gives his life to Jesus because what Jesus does after the rapture of the church is give seven years for the people of the world to repent. He's a loving God. He's a long-suffering God. And little Johnny is now a tribulation saint. He's part of the elect. And he says, listen, those seven years are going to be rough, Johnny. So I don't want any of you to be there. And if I didn't shorten those days, little Johnny wouldn't make it. In other words, if I don't cut it off at seven years, nobody would survive. And let me tell you, little Johnny, the reason why Jesus is telling us this in verse 20 is that he cares about you when things go from bad to worse. He cares about you. In fact, he says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And I want you to see why he cares for you. Look at verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, look here is the Christ. Look, he's there. Don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Listen, I'm not going to let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear, Johnny. You see, the Antichrist is going to be given powers, powers from hell, to deceive the world. And what Jesus is telling them, trust in me alone. Trust in me no matter what you see. 
Trust in me no matter what you're going through. Trust in me no matter your experience because the devil will always come with ice cream when you are walking through your greatest trial. He will always come with something to tempt you, to pull you away from Jesus in the midst of your trial and in the midst of your troubled circumstance. And what Jesus is telling us is this, when it goes bad to worse, don't give in to temptation. Trust in my word. Listen, when it goes from bad to worse, look what he says here in verse 22, in verse 23. But take heed. See, I've told you all things beforehand. This is important. The reason why Jesus can tell us things beforehand is because he is the one in control. And when you feel like it's gone from bad to worse, Jesus is still in control. I want you to think of the cross for just a moment. Can you imagine when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross and said, Father, into into your hands I commend my spirit, and he breathed his last. Well, let me tell you what happened. In hell, there was a party. Woohoo! He's dead. Day one. Yeah. Bring out the music, man. We love it. Day two. Woo! <laughs> He's dead now. Two days. King of kings. We killed him. Day three. You see, while heaven was, ca- excuse me, while hell was counting one, two, three, heaven was counting three, two, one. Church, let me tell you something. When you feel it is going from bad to worse, heaven has a different perspective. And in the midst of all the chaos, can you trust that he's in control? He's got this. And he wants us to know it. So I have a second question for you. Here it is. Has your world ever fallen apart? Has your world ever fallen apart? Take a look, if you would. Mark chapter 13 Verse 24, Jesus knew it would. But in those days, speaking of the seven-year tribulation, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the star of heaven, stars of heaven will fall, so planets are going to drop, the powers in the heavens will be shaken, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great uh, power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather, circle that, gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Here's my question. Has your world ever fallen apart? Because let me tell you what's going on in this particular time. In those days after the tribulation, in the last three and a half year period, there is going to be cosmic disturbances, Comets are going to be knocking planets. Meteors are going to be dropping on the earth. Planets are going to be rocked. Literally, the world is going to be falling apart. Literally. In fact, in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the scientists are going to be like, "Uh, let me explain what's going on. The water turned to blood because, and let me tell you why there's disease, famine, and plague, because there's a little bacteria, microbe called this, that, and the other, and that's why there's all this going on. That's going to happen in the first three and a half years. In the second three and a half years, everyone is going to recognize this is coming from God. And the book of Revelation tells us that man who is 
does not want to be forgiven and does not want to repent are going to look up to heaven and put their fists up to God. They recognize it's God now. They recognize that God is trying to get their attention. And that's all God's trying to do. He's using the tribulation to let them know, I'm coming. You need to repent. You need to get saved. And just when it seems there's no more hope, Bible says that Jesus shows up with great power and glory. Has your world ever fallen apart? And at the point where you feel you're going to drown, Jesus is the lifeguard that shows up swimming through the waves to rescue, restore, and redeem you. You see, maybe you'll take a picture of this statement. The power of Jesus will get you through the darkest parts of life. He shows up with power. The power of Jesus will get you through the darkest parts of life. And the glory of Jesus is his light at the end of the tunnel, guiding you out of dark places to gather you to himself. Your dark place is just a tunnel to get you straight to the light of Jesus. And not only does he guide you with his light, he gives you the power to make it through. Let me show you a promise in Scripture. It was given to the great Apostle Paul, but it's a promise for you. It's a promise for you in your marriage. It's a promise for you with your prodigal. It's a promise for you in your addiction. Listen carefully what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. The Bible says, He speaks to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what he's telling you, when your world is falling apart, and you are at your weakest point, I can be strong for you. And let me tell you why. You're a child of God. He loves you. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, he promises this. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. In other words, the Spirit is confirming this to you, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Now take a look. If indeed we suffer with him, the Bible doesn't hide the truth that we may also be glorified together. Just when we need Jesus, he promises to show up with our, his power and be a part of his glory. Church, I believe this. I need you to remember something. He let his one and only son die on the cross only to reveal the power of the resurrection. And so, if your world is falling apart, hold on. Your resurrection is coming. Hold on. I have a third question, church. Listen to it. Have you ever felt like you wanted to give up? Have you ever felt like you wanted to give up? Let me ask again. Have you ever felt like you wanted to give up? Like, I'm done with my marriage. And I'm not putting myself out there for my child anymore. All he does is steal from me. And listen, I'm just going to quit work. I'm going to move to Utah and live in a hole. (laughs) Have you ever felt like you wanted to even give up your faith? 
You just can't go on. Have you ever felt like you wanted to give up your life? Have you ever felt like you wanted to give up? Mark chapter 13, Jesus understands, verse 24. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender, in other words, in the spring when it starts to grow and starts then putting forth its leaves, so development, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it's near. When you see all these troubles and trials, know it's near. It's at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation, speaking to the generation of the signing of the peace treaty, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Now remember, Jesus is speaking in his humanity, but only the Father. Church, have you ever felt like giving up. You just feel like the trouble and trial is growing and growing and growing, and you just can't seem to get out of it, and you want to quit. Can I not be your pastor for just a minute? Can I just be your brother? I just want to be your brother for just five minutes. Ministry's hard. If I'm honest, I would answer this question, yes, I have felt like I've wanted to give up. I have been so discouraged. I understand this. Because in over 30 years of ministry, I have learned one truth about ministry. Every ministry leads to a crucifixion. There's always a Judas. You pour your life into someone and they stab you in the back. So let me just be a brother for just a moment and say, have you ever felt like you wanted to give up? I know that feeling. I know it. And I want you to understand something. I'm not speaking to you as a preacher trying to tell you something. Now listen, I need to let you know something. I love Calvary South Bay. I love you guys. Please don't write me emails and try to encourage me. I'm good, okay? And I'm going to tell you why I'm good. You don't need to write cards, and please, no more Kit Kats. I have gained like 40 pounds since I've been to Calvary South Bank. I love you guys. I love the way you feed me. You can keep feeding me. But listen, I want you to understand, I believe something as a brother, not as a pastor. And I want to let you know what I believe. Because I have to purpose to keep my heart soft when my heart constantly wants to harden because of the troubles and trials. And I know that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's something that I believe is a brother that I want to tell you. With every death and burial, I believe there's a resurrection. I believe that there's hope. And though it may take time to come, let me explain. Jesus was in the tomb three days. Time passed before God relieved him of his distress and his discouragement and his despair. And though time may pass, I trust Jesus to resurrect me when he's ready. I believe that. I believe that. 
So what Jesus does is he makes a couple things clear. Now I'm going to go back to being your pastor. Come out of brother mode for just a minute. And Jesus wants to make a couple of things clear. Things are going to happen in this life. It's going to grow like a fig tree, and it's just going to keep developing. It's going to get rough. Do you remember what he said earlier? Unless the Lord had shortened these days, no flesh would be saved. He said, at the point where it seems that all hope is lost. Can I tell you what's going on here? Planets are dropping from the universe. It doesn't get worse than that. That's a big deal. Comets are hitting the earth. This is a big deal. And whenever I feel like I just want to quit and give up, that's where my emotions begin to take over. That's where I've got a purpose. That's when I start going, what's the point anyway? Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten to the place where you ask the question, why should I press on? I just want to give up. Jesus is letting us know. And he's letting us know something else. Not only is it going to get rougher, he is giving us hope that these things he's talking about are proof that he is coming. And this is true. Listen, church. This is true, not just for the believers of the tribulation. This is true of Jesus now because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know that our heartache is proof that he's coming? Our heartache in this world is proof that he is coming to you to give you a peace that passes understanding. Your situation may not change, but you will. Our heartache is proof that he is coming to you to give you an inexpressible joy in the midst of your trouble and trial. It's a promise from God. Look at Isaiah. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61. I want you to see the heart of God. Take a look at the heart of God. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. There's nothing like a word of encouragement when you're down, right? Nothing like someone calling you and saying, hey, I'm with you. He says, to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Isn't that beautiful? That when you are brokenhearted, it is proof that Jesus is close. To proclaim liberty to the captives. The opening of prison to those who are bound. In other words, in desperate situations, I show up. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. Now take a look. To comfort, not some all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty from ashes. He takes our horrible situation and he makes it beautiful. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. In other words, When you talk about your situation and you express how desperate you were, at the end of that story, you say, I experienced a death. I experienced a a burial. But I also experienced a resurrection 
to the glory of God. Church, instead of being exasperated by your circumstance, can you let it be, make you expectant that he's coming to you? He's coming. He said, my word will never pass away. What I'm telling you is true. And he's already proven the destruction of the temple. So everything he sells, he else says, is true. So can you be guided by his word when you feel like you want to give up? Can you allow him to encourage you with Emmanuel? That means God's with us. He's not against us. Can you allow his word to encourage you when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you? And when you're in your darkest place, can you trust by crying out, Lord, give me the power of your Holy Spirit and let me be guided by the light of your word? Church, don't be exasperated. Be expectant. He will show up right when he knows he should. So my encouragement, purpose to do what he says. Take heed. Watch and pray. Because he will do what he said. Amen? Amen. Our Father, I come before you today trusting you for your word. So grateful that when we pray, we take a step of faith, you come running to us. So, Lord, I pray for our body. And I ask now you would minister to them. Listen, as a brother, I, I know what it means for your world to fall apart. As a brother, not a pastor. I know what it means to want to give up. And the Bible says in Hebrews 5 that we've got the spirit of Christ, so we don't give up. But I know what it means to feel like you want to. And some of us are in a dark tunnel, but you're, and Jesus said we'd have them. He made it very clear life was going to be rough. Between the time of destruction of the temple and his coming, it was going to get rough and it was going to get rougher. He didn't lie to us. But he says, I I can be there with you. And all you have to do in that dark tunnel is let me show up with my power. It's what I do. And I know there's some of you, you're in your tunnel and you're struggling to see the light. The Bible says he shows up with power and glory. His glory is the light of the word. Paul was in a jail cell and he said, set your mind on things above. Keep looking at the light. Get through the tunnel by his power. But I know some of us need to take the first step of prayer. And here's what he promises. If you would just humble yourself and ask me, I'll come running. Luke 15, 19, I showed it to you. And if that's you, all I want you to do is raise your hand. Believer, raise your hand and say, yep, I'm there. I need, I, I need you to pray for me. Would you just humble yourself and keep your hand, keep your hand raised? If there's anyone that would say, I'm in my tunnel. 
I'm just going to raise my hands and surrender. It's my step of faith. I see your hands. He sees your hands. He sees your humility. He sees you, brother. Would you just leave your hands raised with me as I pray? Jesus, we surrender. Life is rough. You were faithful to tell us. You didn't hide the truth. You even said it's going to get worse. And Lord, I pray for every hand that's raised that you would give them the power of your Holy Spirit to make it through that dark tunnel and they would keep their eyes focused on the glory, focused on the fact that with every death and burial, there is a resurrection. And though the situation may not change, you said to watch, take heed, and to pray. So we want to do what you're asking us to do as believers. Because our desire is to shine as a light. Because your word will never pass away. Lord, give us the power and the strength to stand. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.